Turn to Philippians chapter 4. As you're turning there, um, did a little study on John Bunyan this week. John Bunyan was arrested and then placed on trial on, on January of 16, 16, 1661. Uh, what was his offense? So his offense was that he preached the gospel. He had broken the Conventicle Act, it was the Religion Act of 1592, which made it illegal to have religious gathering outside of the parish of the church with a certain amount of people. Essentially, it was illegal to have some sort of religious gathering that was outside of the, the Church of England. So Bunyan was sentenced to three months of prison. Uh, he would then be set free if he would agree to never do that again, essentially. Uh, but since he did not agree, he did not give assurance that he would not do it again. He ended up spending 12 years in prison. That, that was a heavy weight upon him, uh, his, his family, his wife and kids. But he believed it was the right decision as he desired to obey God. Um, it was in prison that he wrote Grace Abounding, and it's also probably where he began writing uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, he was released in 1672, but then was imprisoned again for illegal preaching uh, just five years later, 1677. That imprisonment, it seems like that only lasted about six months. In, in 1678, the first part of the Pilgrim's Progress was, was published, one of the most uh, popular books in human history. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress has been a classic story of the Christian life and struggle. Christian, the character who the book follows on in his journey, he, he meets many different travelers, friends, foes along the way. And one of the friends that he meets is called Faithful. Faithful. So both Christian and Faithful had some trials when it came to the Valley of Humiliation. I'll let you read it to understand more of the story. But one of the trials that Faithful speaks of is that he met this foe called Discontent. Discontent tries to persuade faithful to turn back, to persuade faithful to not attempt to cross the valley of humiliation. The point of the valley of humiliation is that both Christian and faithful had to have their pride confronted and pruned in order that they would grow in, in humility and grow in their love for the Lord. The point is, the point is sanctification. Christian asks faithful if he met anybody in the valley. And, and this is the response. So here's a small excerpt of, of the book. Pray tell me, did you meet nobody in the valley of humility? Yes, I met with one discontent who would willingly have persuaded me to go back again with him. His reason was for that the valley was altogether 
without honor. He told me, moreover, that there to go was the way to disobey all my friends, as pride, arrogancy, self-conceit, worldly glory with others, who he knew, as he said, would be very much offended if I made such a fool of myself as to wade through this valley. Well, how did you answer him? I told him that although all these that he named might claim kindred to me, and that rightly, for indeed they were my relations according to the flesh, yet since I became a pilgrim, they have disowned me as I have rejected them, and therefore they were to me now of no more than if they had never been of my lineage. I told him, moreover, that as to this valley, he had quite misrepresented the thing. For before honor is humility, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Therefore, said I, I had rather go through this valley to the honor that was so accounted by the wisest than choose that which he esteemed most worth our affections. So we're going to finish up uh, our study of Philippians this morning. <clears throat> and as we close the study, we are going to be looking at contentment. So what does it mean to be content? And how are we to live lives of contentment? What are the enemies of contentment? And so as we look at the passage, we're going to see six important characteristics that Paul shares about the secret of contentment. So if you haven't yet already, turn to Philippians 4 and go to verse 10. I'm going to read from 10 to the end of the chapter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, help us as we take a look at your word that we would uh, be convicted to the heart, that we'd be encouraged. I ask that you provide us with a heart of contentment. I pray this in your name. Amen. So first of all, contentment rejoices in the Lord. Contentment rejoices in the Lord. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul begins this last portion of the letter with another announcement of rejoicing. Paul has shown tremendous joy throughout uh, this little letter to the church. Uh, And this time, he describes the rejoicing as being great. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. The reason that Paul is rejoicing in the Lord is because of the renewed or, or revived concern of the Philippian church. Paul is showing a lot of gratitude for the gifts that they've provided to him, and the gratitude is expressed in rejoicing to the Lord. We don't know the exact reason why they hadn't given uh, to him for a while. Uh, all that we see is that they had, they had concern uh, for him, and they lacked some sort of opportunity uh, to, to give. This, this could have been Paul's distance. This could have been their own poverty and ability to give. But, but now we see that they've, they've given again. And, and something that you may have noticed as I read through this is that Paul does not specifically say thank you to the church. Why is that? Um, saying thank you for a gift is a good thing to do. Uh, what we do see is he rejoices in the Lord. So even though this is the case that there, is, there isn't a specific thank you, Paul does clearly show his, his gratitude for the church. And we're going to talk about thankfulness later. But Paul is not interested in trying to get more money from, from the church. He's not trying to manipulate them in any way. He's desiring to point them towards Christ, uh, to, to rejoice in the Lord. And he's not trying to get anything from them. So we'll look at this a little further, uh, a little later on. Uh, But Paul specifically says that this rejoicing is not about the gift itself. Um, And he's not interested in in them thinking that he needs more help. Uh, He's content. Uh, He's pointing them to Christ with the goal that they would also rejoice in the Lord. Paul's not relying upon other people to be the source of his joy and rejoicing. God's provision is his source of joy. First of all, in salvation, uh, but then also in other ways as the Lord continues to provide. He does not rest the responsibility of his joy upon the church. We actually see this briefly in chapter 2, where Paul is exhorting the church to be unified in their mind and love. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul already has joy and has been rejoicing in the Lord and seeing the growth and godliness in in the church and the unity and and in mind would be another piece of joy to add to his joy that he already has. He's not dependent upon the church for joy. He already has joy in Christ. Paul's joy is founded upon the character of God, God's work, God's promises. He's not lacking in joy, but he also sees the joy in the sanctification of of the church. Expressions of, of love, gifts from fellow believers, can be a source of great encouragement and, and great blessing, uh, but are not a source of, 
of true and lasting contentment that's going to be found in Christ. It, it, it's a blessing to have joy in your relationships with family, church, friends, but the joy of your life should not rest upon them. The joy of your life should rest upon Christ. So do not allow the joy of your life to rest on something other than the Lord. Because whatever that thing is, or whoever that person is, will eventually fail you, and there could then be a crisis of joy in your life. Lasting joy is only going to come from God. Contentment will rejoice in the Lord. And the fact that he is not relying upon the Philippian church for joy is emphasized in what he says next. And so, secondly, contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. In verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is something that needs to be learned. Contentment is not where our hearts begin. In, in Paul's gratitude for their gifts, he's not telling them that he's in any sort of need, but is showing them contentment is possible in any circumstance, any situation. So the, the questions that are brought up in reading this verse could be, you know, Paul, how do you know how to be brought low? How to be brought low and to abound? How have you learned to be content in any circumstance? So what is the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need? And the answer, it's one of the most coffee-muggable, t-shirt-wearable, and point-to-the-sky-after-catching-the-winning-touchdown type verses. Uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's up there with one of the most misused verses in the Bible. Uh, clearly, within this context, Paul's not making some emotionally motivational speech about, you know, you can do it, you can achieve it, uh, you're strong enough to accomplish this uh, type of statement here. Instead, he's speaking about going through trials and, and joys in life with contentment because you have Christ. Um, it's not a bad verse to have on a mug. <laughs> um, just remember... It's about being content. Paul had to learn this. Contentment is learned. Part of the way that we learn contentment in life is by going through trials. We go through suffering. We go through hardship. Paul says this, and we just read this in Romans 5. Verses 3 and 5 says, Not only that Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul was brought low many times. He he writes this letter in a low moment. As he's in prison... We could list off a lot of other times that Paul was, was brought low. Uh, people literally 
watching the gate of the city, waiting for him to come out because they want to kill him. And so he's got people who find this out and they need, they need to lower him down from the city in a basket. He's being brought low. He suffered beatings. He suffered imprisonment, shipwreck. There are times that he went without. There are times that he had plenty. But the secret of contentment is to find contentment, to find joy, to find satisfaction, find meaning and purpose in Christ rather than possessions or circumstances or what people think of you. And this is why Paul and Silas are able to sing songs as they're shackled in prison. They're able to sing praise to God while going through a trial because they're content in, in Christ and are not looking for joy in, in the circumstances that they face in life. This, this frees you from being a slave to what happens in your life. This is not to say that you are to be apathetic uh, about your life. You can still care about what happens. Uh, we can have joy and be grieved about different kinds of circumstances that, that we face and whatever situations that we find ourselves in. But our ultimate joy and our ultimate contentment uh, won't be lost if Christ is our hope in life and death. If, if that is where we're placing the foundation of our, of our joy and contentment is in Christ. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So we are to learn contentment as we look to Christ. There are a number of, of enemies of contentment that I believe are important to address here as we consider contentment. Listen, listen to Proverbs chapter 30 Verses 7 to 9. It says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So a person who is content in Christ knows how to handle these types of situations in a godly way. Um, so let, let's speak of these dangers of a lack of contentment in Christ. Um, so when we have plenty and when we have abundance, there is danger to forget God because we're comfortable. The danger to forget God because we're comfortable. Listen again to this portion of the proverb. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? The temptation, the, the temptation of denying God because of having abundance. The temptation of having all of our earthly desires and needs met is that we would think that we're not in need anymore. We can become comfortable in life and, and think then, who, who is the Lord? I, I have all of what I need. Who, who is he? Um, why would I need him? This would be foolish on a, on a number of different levels. God created all things and, and provides. So this would be a lack of understanding about who God is and, and the gifts that he provides. God is the one who has made our bodies to function in the way that we live. 
He is the one who provides us with all of what we have. He's the creator of all things. Comfort can breed pride because comfort can woo us into thinking that we don't need anything or that, that we've made it on our own strength, on our own wisdom. And the truth of the matter is that we are always dependent upon the Lord for him to provide. All things are his. Even the strength that you have, the wisdom that you have, has been given to you by God. Not only that, but we need the Lord to save us. We're lost without him. To ask the question, who is the Lord, is to be drowning in pride and to not recognize the need that we have. So this, this is the danger of forgetting God, denying God in our abundance. To forget him, to deny him. To even have the audacity to believe that we don't need him. When we have been brought low and have need, there is also danger. So not only when we have abundance is there danger, but also when we're brought low and have need, there is also danger. So instead of the danger of forgetting God, um, there's a danger of complaining and blaming God. The the temptation of believing that God is not good because there are things I could use here that I don't have, and then taking matters into my own hands. The proverb states, Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The, The temptation is to judge God's character based upon whether or not I'm getting the things that I want. You see that? It would be to say, I'm hungry, and that means God's not good. This is placing upon God the responsibility to do whatever I want him to do. And then judge his character based upon his performance of meeting my demands. That is foolishness and is not how God operates. God does not exist to be commanded and subjected by his creation. Instead, we exist for his glory. Maybe you are in a time of plenty, or maybe you are in a, in a time of need, this, the secret of contentment is to have the fullness of joy in your life be based upon the character and work of Christ rather than on your abundance or your need. Contentment is having strength in Christ. If you are in a time of need, you are able to seek help and Work hard with a spirit of thankfulness because you know you already have what you ultimately need in Christ. So even if you are in a time of need, there are things that you can look around and and be thankful for. Specifically, salvation and forgiveness of sins that's available in Christ. So there can be contentment. Or maybe you're in a time of plenty and the danger that you face is to forget God or deny God because of all of what you have. Have your eyes open to all the ways that God has blessed you and give thanks. This will keep you humble and remembering that all that you have is a gift from God. Which then moves us to our third truth. Contentment is thankful. Uh, contentment is thankful. <clears throat> Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul provides an encouragement about the kindness in partnering with him. They partnered with him by, by giving gifts. Even though he made it clear that he's, he's not saying he's in need, he still encourages their, their generosity and their desire to be involved in the ministry. And so even though Paul is not specifically saying thank you to the church, his thankfulness is still evident as he commends them for their kindness that they've shown him. So th- there is a connection between giving and partnership in ministry. Um, one commentator said, if you aren't giving, you aren't a partner. You're more like a consumer or a customer. The, the Philippian church was more than just a consumer as they were giving to the cause of the spread of the gospel. Paul commends them for their giving. Uh, they had been giving since the beginning, uh, even when uh, some other churches were not. As an encouragement to, to you, you guys have been faithful givers. Redemption Bible Church is a generous and giving church. And the gospel is being proclaimed in the community and throughout the world, partly because of your generosity. As There's a number of local missions. Think of New Path, WRE we just talked about. You guys are a generous church and have partnered with those ministries. And the gospel is being proclaimed in our community, um, and then throughout the world. We'll hear more about that next week. So I want to encourage you in that and to encourage you to continue that. And we, and we should thank the Lord for that and the provision that he's given and continue to pray that the gospel would be preached uh, to the ends of the earth. As, as we talk about being thankful, it's important that thankfulness is in the proper direction. Thankfulness is first of all directed towards the Lord and then to others. Thankfulness shows a heart that is rich in the Lord. And thankfulness is is one of the greatest ways to fight off temptation. Every temptation that you face will be a temptation to persuade you, to deceive you, to fall into discontentment. Discontent, there's something that you want. Don't feel like you have. Temptation will say to you, what you have is not good enough. But, but over here, this, this thing, this is where it's at. Over here. The goal of temptation is to move you to have a discontented heart, which then moves you away from trusting God and directs you towards taking matters into your own hands. This happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve had everything that they needed. They had everything that they needed for fulfillment. Yet, as they gave into temptation, they were moved from that place of fulfillment in the Lord to having discontent in what the Lord had provided for them. Ephesians Verse five, chapter 5, verse 4 is a good example of thankfulness as a defense against temptation. It says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, 
but instead let there be thanksgiving. Instead let there be thanksgiving. Out of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we have thankful hearts, then thanksgiving is on our tongues. Cultivate an attitude of, of thankfulness, and you'll find yourself having a heart that's content in what the Lord has provided you. And also then speaking and, and singing praises to God as you're overflowing with thankfulness to God. Fourth of all, contentment seeks godly fruit over the material gift. Contentment seeks godly fruit over the material gift. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul is clear. Again, so he's not seeking after the the gift. The, The joy that Paul has is not dependent upon receiving from the church. The importance of the church giving does not come from some hidden agenda of of Paul desiring to become rich or wealthy off of them. So why is it that Paul is joyful about the giving of the church? It's because he seeks after the fruit. He desires the growth and godliness and desires that the church would would bear fruit. A, A godly generosity understands that the money and material assets that we have do not belong to us but belong to the Lord. When there is an understanding that all that we own, even ourselves, uh, does not actually belong to me but belongs to God, this frees us up to be way more generous with what we have because we're not trying to acquire things for ourselves uh, but are more interested in in the godly stewardship of what God has granted to us, what he's provided to us. So all of what we have, even our bodies, are ultimately the Lord's. This is why we see scripture speaking about how you cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money is a terrible God. A terrible God. Think about this. How how often does your money leave you? How often does your money forsake you? (laughs) It's it's every moment. Every moment. the, The electric bill piles up. The mortgage, taxes, food, you name it, there's a bill to be paid. Um, Money is constantly leaving your wallet. Uh, Why trust in something that continually leaves you? Money itself isn't bad. Uh, We are to be wise with the money we receive from our work. And it, it can be godly to invest well to use our resources with wisdom. But the love of money is is one of the great causes of evil. Be careful about placing your trust, the affections of your heart, with with money. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
There can be contentment with what you have. Why? Because we have Christ, and Christ never leaves or forsakes his people. Uh, Notice this again, that the reason why we can have contentment is not based upon the material possession, but is based upon Christ. We can be content with what we have because we have Christ, who is far more valuable than any gold or silver. So take great care and be watchful over your heart because the love of money is deadly. The love of money leads towards destruction. Greed is a cup that is never full. Always wanting more, never satisfied. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We are, we are people who become like what we worship. We will be conformed into something. We have this call to be conformed into Christ-likeness. For those who love money, they will become like money. In the pursuit of money, they tend to leave. Did you notice that about what I just read? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through the cravings that some have wandered away. Right? They've wandered away. They've left the faith. In the pursuit of money, as, as people, if they make money their God, they become more like it, and they end up leaving the faith, leaving family, leaving friends, leaving what's important in life as they pursue after getting more of their God that never satisfies them. They're, they're becoming like money in leaving, leaving and forsaking. Being content seeks godly fruit rather than the gift itself. Material gain is not the priority. So be careful. Have have your affections, your love, be for Christ and not founded upon your material assets. Fifth, contentment is worship. Verse 18. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant, fragrant offer, offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. <clears throat> so Paul brings up some Old Testament imagery here as he speaks of their gifts to him being a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Uh, and Whenever you see Scripture speaking of something that is pleasing to God, It's important to take note of that. Um, It's important. Um, Paul is saying their sacrificial giving is pleasing to the Lord. Being a faithful giver should come from a heart that desires to please the Lord. This is not to look good. This is not to to gain some righteousness from your giving. It's to come out of the overflow of your heart uh, of love for the Lord. Give as an act of worship. Give with a cheerful heart. As a matter of just some practical insight to our service, um, when it comes to giving in the church, there, there was a moment that we had talked about doing some online 
giving. Um, one of the reasons why we decided that we did not want to do online giving is because we see giving to be an act of worship, um, and we didn't want to take away that, that thought of, of the act in, in the service. It's possible that you can set up your bank account uh, to give a monthly thing. To pay. That, that can be helpful for, for bills so you don't forget. <laughs> but, but we don't want to do that with the church. The church is not another bill to pay. Um, this, is, this is an act of worship. Um, so a, as a matter of worship, we saw that it's important to have a physical way to give, and then we're reminded reminded to, to act in our giving, to think about our giving. It, it, our giving is an act of worship. We're not going to take that away from uh, the service. And so as we pass the plate to each person, they, they have opportunity as the Lord lays on their heart what, what to give as, as an act of worship. Um, and it's important to reiterate that our, that our giving to the church does not give us more righteousness. Our righteousness, our righteousness is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, that is where righteousness comes from. Not, not from our giving, not from our generosity. Um, and at the same time, as we become more like what we worship, become more like Christ, uh, we're, we're going to give. Christ is the greatest giver of all. <laughs> Jesus gave his life to save sinners like you and me. We cannot outgive God. Um, we cannot gain more of God's love or approval by giving. Instead, we have righteousness in the fact that Jesus gives his righteousness freely to those who repent and believe. And Jesus, he's the greatest giver of all. And as we worship Jesus, we will become more like him and become people who are generous um, rather than people who are looking to take from others. Sixth of all, contentment has faith that the Lord will provide. Contentment has faith that the Lord will provide. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God, the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The church graciously and lovingly provides for the needs of Paul. And it's really the Lord that is providing for Paul by the means of the church. And now Paul gives this encouragement that the Lord will supply them as well. Jesus promises that the church will be built upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What this means is that the church must continue to exist. And the people will need to have what is needed in order to preach the gospel. Uh, these, these types of promises can be popular for the health and wealth type preachers to emphasize. Uh, but it's important to note here that Paul says that God will provide for their need. Um, this does not necessarily mean that God will provide all of what the church wants. This is, God's not interested in supplying 
uh, a church's greed, um, but their needs. Uh, remember as well that Paul has said that he's learned to be content in time of need. So even, even in his time of need, okay, so he felt like he needed something, right? He didn't have it. Uh, he still had contentment in Christ. And we see he, he, made it, he, he made it even though he didn't have all of what he felt like he needed. Um, we can sometimes get our needs and our wants mixed up. We can be sure that the Lord provides for what we ultimately need. One commentator put it this way. Um, While Paul surely has material provision in view here, we shouldn't limit the application to this dimension. God also supplies every spiritual need, including the ability to be content and to find sufficient strength in Christ. Paul is saying that God will provide everything we need to live for Christ. The Lord provided his son for his people. He also will provide for our needs. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a good God. He provides for his people. He provides for their needs. And our greatest need, the forgiveness of sin, salvation for our soul, is provided for those who repent and believe. There is great contentment to be had in the life of a Christian. And it's found in Christ. So I encourage you to respond in faith. Respond with repentance to the gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Begin to learn contentment as you face all sorts of trials and you face all sorts of joys in your life. And continually look to the cross in thankfulness and gratitude. And you'll find that contentment is close by as you do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of your son, Jesus. Uh, We thank you that we can have joy and we can have contentment even in the trials and sufferings that we face. And that helps us to uh, walk through that shadow, that hardship. Uh, Thank you for the strength that is in Christ, uh, to be content. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to guard our hearts from greed, uh, that we would not be a people who's, who, who seeks after our own desires and wants, um, but that we would look to you with faith and obedience, that we would live our lives in a wise way, that with the things that you have provided and blessed us with, that we would Uh, Use those things in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, as we steward what you provided to us. So Lord, again, I ask that you provide us with hearts of contentment. Amen.